0: A dad was whining and complaining about how rough it was and how he wished they had have stayed home instead of going fishing. And his father told him, he said, you wouldn't want to be ashore in a storm like this. He said, it's a lot safer out here. If you were ashore, a tree could fall on you. And the reality was my grandfather probably wouldn't have headed out into the Bay of Fundy in a small fishing boat if he knew that rough weather was coming. But on the other hand, they were already there. To turn around would use up valuable time and valuable fuel. To go back home and then come back out to where they were supposed to be. And so they safely weathered the storm without a tree falling on them. This is week four of our Weathering the Storms of Life series. Over the past three weeks, we focused on storms that have happened at sea. And the the first week, we looked at the Old Testament story of Jonah. We learned five things from that story. We learned that not every storm is our fault. That every action has consequences for others. Uh, Don't make major decisions in the midst of a storm. No storm lasts forever. And finally, the remedy for disobedience is obedience. Well, two weeks ago, we looked at the time that Jesus calmed the storm that he was in with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. From that story, we learned sometimes obedience leads us into storms. Jesus is always with us in the storms. Storm teaches us about ourselves. Storm teaches us about Jesus. And it's easy to nap when you know who's in control. Last week, we looked at the story of Paul's... Journey to Rome and the multiple storms he encountered on the way. There are five lessons there as well. What a coincidence, you're thinking. Wow. First is sometimes a storm is just a storm. He was neither obedient nor disobedient, ended up in a storm. Storms don't always come alone. If there's something you can do, do it. The consequences of the storm can outlast the storm and never forget God is there. But not all storms happen at sea. I just happen to think that the really cool ones do. This week, the storm story is a story of a story. We're going back to the parables of Jesus, the stories that Jesus told to illustrate the kingdom of God. Matthew and Luke both record this story, but we're going to settle into Matthew's account of it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 26. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. So let's start with the backstory, story. Familiar story, especially if you grew up in Sunday school or, or daily vacation Bible school and singing the wise man built his house upon the rock. Jesus begins by telling the story of two men because one man wouldn't have been enough for the story and three men would have just confused the story. And the two men had some things in common. They both heard the teaching of Jesus. They both embarked on a project. They both made choices and they both encountered a storm. In the story, the project they encountered embarked upon, was the process of building a house. And some of you folks have been connected with building houses. Now this, of course, is an analogy for the life that each one of us creates for ourselves. I'm not a builder, but I love building. Angela and I have had two new homes built through the years, one in Australia and then our first home further down in Kingswood. And although we didn't actually build them, We helped design them. We were on site every day, checking progress and bringing the contractors homemade chocolate chip cookies, because you'd be amazed at how much better performance you get from contractors with homemade chocolate chip cookies. Over the past 30 years, I've been involved in three church building projects, and in each of those, I was involved in the design. I was on site every day. I took part in the building project, swinging a hammer, lugging stuff and painting. I love building. And I've discovered that in each of these cases... You need to be careful about what's happening while the building is under construction because you'll pay later for any shortcuts that were taken during the construction process. And trust me when I say that nobody, nobody will care more about your house being built than you will. And so the two men both build their homes. One chose to build on bedrock. The second man built his house on sand. Now the commentators tell us that 2,000 years ago in in Palestine, that this would have been a story that would have resonated with people. They would have gone, oh yeah, they would have been nodding along. It made complete sense in their culture, time, and geography. Barclay writes in his Daily Study Bible, he says, "Uh, there was many a gully, which in summer was a pleasant sandy hollow, but in the winter, a raging torrent of rushing water. A man might be looking for a house. He might find a pleasantly sheltered sandy hollow. And he might think this was a very suitable place. But... If he was a short-sighted man, he might well have built his house in the dried-up bed of a river, and the winter came, the house would disintegrate. You see, ultimately, both men made decisions, decisions that would dramatically affect the quality of their lives later on. And Jesus explains very clearly what he was trying to say. Doesn't beat around the bush, doesn't try to sugarcoat it, doesn't try to make it nice sounding. He says this, Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, And anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. Now notice that Jesus doesn't say that the men were smart or stupid because smart and stupid aren't the same as wise and foolish. Because it's easier for a wise person to gain knowledge and become smart than for a smart person to gain judgment and become wise. And we've all met people who were incredibly smart but dumb as dirt when it comes to the decisions and practical things in life. So one of these men, the wise man, hears the teachings of Jesus and he chooses to make those teachings the foundations of his life, even though it's not necessarily the easy choice or even the popular choice. And today, following Christ continues to to not be the easy choice or the popular choice. The second man heard the same message but made a different decision. He chose to ignore the message. Now, we don't know what philosophy the second man decided to embrace don't know what teachings he decided to follow. But we do know that it wasn't the teaching or the philosophy of Christ. And Jesus tells us that the foolish man made his decision to ignore the teaching of Christ for the same reason the foolish man built on sand. It was easier. He wasn't looking to the future. He was just concerned with the here and now. So in this parable, Jesus, first of all, demands that people listen to the message. And secondly, he demands that they do something with what they've heard. Knowledge only becomes relevant when it's translated into action. When I first went to work for my dad on the tugboats, between my grade 9 and grade 10, he gave me a big lecture on doing what I was told. And he said, when, when, when me or him being captain or anybody else on the tug tells you to do something, we want you to do it. He said, if we tell you to jump, you should be in the air asking how high. And I looked at him with that 15-year-old, I know it all looked. And he went, seriously, he said, if we're towing something and the rope or cable breaks, it could cut off your head. And what would I tell your mother? Right? That made sense even to a 15-year-old who knew everything. But understand this, the same way that you don't build a house overnight, you don't build your life overnight. Stephen Covey wrote, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So let's continue with the story of the building. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. If the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash, which, of course, is the storm story. Now, presumably, the houses weren't built in the midst of storms, but the storms eventually came, and it seems they came from all directions. The story doesn't just say that the rain came, it said the rain came in torrents, and because it was raining so hard, the the rivers flooded, and the floodwaters came up against the base of the house, and and the heavy winds were beating against the house. Last week, I spoke about how there are times when one storm seems to follow on the heels of another storm. But sometimes it's all one storm and they have multiple elements. You get sick, you can't work, you lose your job, you can't pay your bills, you lose your home. Not multiple storms, but elements of the same storm. Now in the story that Jesus told, the storms are identical. Torrential rains, waters, and wind. But it's in the end result that we see the difference. Because at the end of the day, one house is left standing while the other house has collapsed. So what are some of the lessons from the story? Well, the first thing we we discover is that storms will come. Regardless of how nice the weather is when you're building the house, you can be assured that at some point storms will come. So if you're building a house in Canada, you ought to prepare for snow. If you're building a house in Florida, you ought to prepare for hurricanes. There may not be a storm today, but the storms will come. Your life may seem peachy right now, but the chances are that at some place in your future, a storm will come. Now, I don't want to sound all negative, but simply realistic. And storms come for good people as well as bad people and the people in between. Because we're all roommates on planet Earth. When I first became a Christian, the, uh, the pastor in my home church was a man by the name of Jack McKenzie, and so Jack and his wife Charlene McKenzie were my first pastoral family. We called them pastor and missus, and they have been the godliest people I've ever met. An incredible example of faith and personal holiness. If faithfulness exempted us from storms, then their life should have been cloud-free, but it wasn't. Jack and Charlene's only daughter was diagnosed with ASL, or Lou Gehrig's disease, when she was a teenager. And she died in her late teens and early 20s. Their son David was in Bible college in the States and was traveling with a singing group when he was killed in a plane crash. Their third son died unexpectedly a few years ago. And shortly after they retired, Charlene was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. But if you ask them how they're doing, they say, God is so good. God is so good. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 5, 45, for he, God, gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. But with that in mind, listen to the promises that Jesus made to his followers. He said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Have peace in me. Or as Shannon Alder reminds us, there's always a storm, there's always rain. Some experience it, some live through it, and others are made from it. And remember the wisdom of B. Stanton that we shared last week. A wise old mariner perhaps once said, never grumble of how the winds they howl. It's one of the few things in life you cannot change. But there are things you can change, which leads us to the next point. The best time to prepare for a storm is before the storm. It's kind of like that old guy who never fixed his roof because when it was sunny, it wasn't leaking. And when it was raining, it was too wet to fix the roof. The time to prepare for the storm is when the sun is out. The best time to build your house and to build a life is when the storm isn't raging around you. And sometimes we get the warning, a storm is coming, get ready. But oftentimes we miss the warning or we underestimate the power of the storm. And it's those times we discovered how prepared we are or how prepared we're not. When Angela and I first started dating, we took a group from the Bible college out on my father's pleasure boat for the day. It started out as a really nice day, but by the time we were done our three-hour cruise, the wind had really blown up. Dad had a new window that he was planning on installing in the boat, and he had it laying on the deck in front of the, in front of the, the wheelhouse on the cuddy. and we had kind of made a turn in a gust of wind, grabbed the window, and overboard it went. I thought I probably should have tied that down before we left. Right? Best time to prepare is before the storm happens. The middle of the hurricane isn't when you should be putting your patio furniture away. The middle of the snowstorm isn't when you should be discovering that you forgot to put gas in the snowblower. Not that I know anything about those two things. But I do know for a fact that seasick medicine is a lot more effective if you take it before you get sick. Next thing we discover is your foundation is important in the storm. We've all seen pictures like this of icebergs. In 1981, I had a great summer job on the Irving Cedar, which took me to the magnetic North Pole. And as we were going up, we we saw icebergs, really big icebergs. And we get into some some stormy weather while we're on our way up, and the boat is pitching back and forth, and you look over, and those icebergs would be completely placid because of the amount of ice underneath them. There were times I wished I was on the iceberg instead of on the tugboat. But it's how much we have beneath the surface, the foundation that's built. Luke's account of this parable is a little different than Matthew's. This is what Luke said. It's like a person who building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Jesus told another parable where he compared our Christian experience to plants and explained how the plants that had developed deep, strong roots were more likely to survive than the plants with shallow roots. So how do you make sure that you have a strong... Start by discovering the truths that God has for us there. Paul wrote to the uh, Christians in the city of Ephesus. He wrote this, together, we are his people, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. So how do you discover what the foundation of the prophets and the apostles are? You read them. How do you discover who this cornerstone of Christ is? You learn about his life, what he did, what he said about himself, the miracles he performed, his death, his life, his resurrection. If you don't have a Bible to read, let one of the staff know we'll get you one in a modern translation that you can read. And it's not just reading your Bible. Make prayer a habit. Join a small group. Make regular worship a part of your routine. The time to be preparing your foundation isn't when you found out you're ill. It's not when you found out you're unemployed or there are problems with your kids. The time is now. It has often been said the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Nobody knows who said it, but nobody ever argues with the truth of the statement. So you should have started laying the foundation of your faith a long time ago. But if you didn't, start today. Next thing is the results of the storm will differ for each of us. Everybody goes through a storm differently. Before we moved to where we are in Kingswood now, we used to live further back in on the, on the loop in Kingswood. And our house was down in a sheltered area, which was really kind of nasty in the wintertime when you were trying to get up the driveway. But... The night of Hurricane 1. Anybody remember Hurricane 1? That was like 15 years ago, right? Remember the power went off in the middle of the night because we had one of those printers that would cycle on and off and the power went off, right? Just to remind you, the power has gone off. So the power had gone off in the middle of the night. We get up in the morning, the power was still off. And I remember looking out the window and thinking, no, that wasn't much. We had one little tree that had broken off my wheelbarrow, had blown across the yard. I'm like, what was all the fuss about? And then our son came in where he had worked the back shift in Bedford and told us about the devastation in Bedford, about yachts up on the rocks and how DeWolf Park had basically been destroyed down along the boardwalk and stuff. They experienced Hurricane One completely different from how we did in that sheltered little area. Both men in the parable went through the same storm. One man's house stood, the second man's house fell. In their case, it was because of good planning and poor planning, good preparation and poor preparation. But understand that every storm is different. And so are the people who experience the storm. Their life experience, their faith background, the foundation they've established. All of those things will dictate how we weather the storms. But don't try to project on others how you think the storm should affect them. You can be there for them. You can walk through the storm with them. But you're not them. And finally and most importantly, God is with us in the storm. Maybe you wonder where it said that in the parable. It doesn't actually say that in the parable. But what Jesus does say is this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. And if you've read the teachings of Christ, time and time again, he reminds us how much God loves us, how much God cares for us, and how God will always be there for us. The prophet writes in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, The Lord is good, good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. If you've never accepted the forgiveness of Christ, if you've never accepted his grace, if you've never started to build the foundation, those promises are just a prayer away. Here's the promise that we've read the past three messages. Forms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. And here's a new promise for you today from the book of Romans. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. And those verses above there, they don't resonate with us at all today in North America in 2018. But around the world, those are a reality for Christians. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Here's the promise for you I am convinced. I am convinced. That nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. No storm can separate us from God's love. I don't know where you're at today. Don't know what storms may be blowing in your life or maybe in the future. But I do know this the promises of God are real. And He wants to be there and walk with you through the storm. So I'm praying for you this morning. I want to pray over you as I did last week, the uh, the words of Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. Let me pray for you. Now may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you His favor and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.